The gospel coming your way. DJ. Boy is on fire. Just busy one time. All time. I know that's right. Am I right about it? About it. I feel well. This is the test. Pumping out the jam. 107.7 The Keep it locked. It's a Fiverr exclusive. We all have choices. We make them every day. And our choices get us where we are. And they put us exactly where we are. We are actually where we are today because of the choices we made yesterday. Like it or not. Things are the way. Yeah. Things that we did. Positive results or undesirable results. And uh, you know, so if you're getting undesirable results, what do you need to do to fix that? Hmm. Wow. Amazing. So we can do something about today to change tomorrow. Just Absolutely. one choice, one behavior. I'm one behavior away from that change. Hmm. And I'm thinking, I, I've caught my sleep now. I've, I've got my sleep in order. I sleep very well, properly. <laughs> there are other things that need to change. <laughs> There's always things to change, but you don't slay the dragon all in the same way. That is it. Look, let me hear that every morning. And I think that that will just set you off. Because we, we, sometimes that is where we put pressure on ourselves when we're trying to get everything right today instead of one step at a time. Is that possible for a woman? Because women can do so many things, multitasking, multitasking, if I can even relate to that. And yet, you, you know, the multitasking we know doesn't work. I think women just think we can. We've got so many things that we're juggling all the time, yet we can only focus on one thing at a time. And to do anything well requires a, at least a limited amount of focus. And so, you know, where are you applying the effort? Where are you putting your attention? And where you're putting your attention is where you get results. Hmm. So one switch can actually change so many things. If I just flip it and put my attention elsewhere, Yes. You know, it's it's a bit like uh, it's a bit like cooking. You know, imagine we're we're making a dinner and then we take a phone call and we check on the kids and mm. we stop and talk to the neighbor and suddenly we smell something that's not as desirable as we were hoping it would be, as we burn everything on the stovetop, as we you know, took our attention away for an extended period of time, and the results that we get are the consequences of that lack of attention. Wow. You studied psychology, but why measure in uh, human behaviors? There must have been something that really made you love to study how and why we interact the way we do, why we do the things we do, why we express ourselves the way we do. I mean, human behavior speaks of our makeup, our genetic makeup, our culture, our customs, our values, our individual values, our attitude, several factors speaks to this. And for one to be interested in that, you must be interesting yourself. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, it's so interesting. How does one start? And you know, I, I started looking at human behavior. I think 
like most of us, because there were things in my life that just weren't as as wonderful as I would have wanted them. You know, I had been in relationships that had failed. I had moved across the country. I was living by myself. I had three little kids to look after. I had, I've always been attracted to conflict and just wondering if somebody yells at you at the baggage claim when all you're trying to do is help. How, um, you know, how in my law enforcement career, I would wonder what would make a normally rational, sane human being behave in such a way when they're first pulled over or interacting with law enforcement. And so I just started to unravel the thread to really watch and become an observer of human behavior and to really seek to understand, you know, that huge level of curiosity. What drives us? What causes us to, to stay stuck or what causes other people to shift gears so quickly and alter their path and change the results they're getting? And so most of the training that I've taken over the years has just been implemented in such strategic ways, executing on those ideas and thoughts and listening to podcasts and reading books and, and following thought leaders and taking educational courses, all designed to understand what could I do differently and how could I take that information and share it with others. Hmm. What makes others so outstanding? I mean, we all have the same 24 hours with Beyonce, but she seems to be scooping all kinds of the right awards. How does she do it? Yes. Because she's focused on that priority. You know, I think a lot of us major in minor things. So yeah. yeah. You want to pause and repeat. You say a lot of us major in minor things. In minor things, you know, we get caught up in other people's agendas. And I often think about, you know, I was just talking about this when I was speaking at the college last week. And I was talking about, you know, your inbox, for example, your email inbox, and how full it can be. You were talking about that with all the letters you get for the podcast. And as soon as you open the inbox, you're a slave to someone else's agenda. So it's their urgencies, it's their priorities. But if we re-engineer that and we thought about what are the three things that I absolutely want to accomplish today. So, you know, taking that mindset of looking in the mirror and asking ourselves, if today is my last day on earth, what do I want to be remembered? And, um, and I'm pretty darn sure it's not sifting and sorting through a, a full inbox, but it would be about making a difference. It would be about touching lives. It would be about working on something like Beyonce which is writing a piece of music that will live long past her, you know, her expiry date. And so what are those things that really matter to us? And are we doing them first? Or are we doing them when we have time left over? And a mm. lot of us are complaining about being busy and overwhelmed and burnt out and spending an awful lot of time sitting on social media, arguing with people who don't share their same beliefs. But how much time is being wasted that could be used more productively, that could be used in a way that moves, moves the needle forward, that, that puts us driving our own car instead of passengers in our life? What would it take for us to live the life of our dreams? It's all about attention and focus. You know, what, what are you 
What are you paying attention to? And if, if you know, we're, we're dissatisfied with our lives and we're cynical and we're feeling conflicted and we feel like we're constantly dealing with bullies and gaslighters and narcissists, well, perhaps that's because that's where you're spending most of your time looking. And so the universe is great about delivering that which we're putting our attention on. And it's also very good through the years if you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to change that today. Uh, I love Mel Robbins and her, her five second rule. Because she says, you know, honestly, we can talk ourselves out of anything in five seconds. Mm. But we can also talk ourselves into anything in about five seconds. So why don't we choose to claim things that really liven us up, feed us energy, make us feel good? Bringing you the good news all day long. You, you, you are tuned in to the hottest station on the planet. On the planet. Keep it locked. Can, can you imagine, you know, you how many times you don't feel like going to, I, I talk obviously on conflict, so you don't feel like going to work today because you don't want to face who's at work today and the projects that are unfinished projects at work today. And so we choose to do nothing. And nothing is an option. It's a choice. And mm. so is Jesus. Whoa. So Jesus. <laughs> nothing is nothing but a choice. It's a choice. Huh. Inactivity is a choice. No, I've never, I, I, I've never, you know, I, I have dogs. And you'll probably see them wandering behind, behind my chair. Yes, I've seen one already, yes. <laughs> So I've always thought, you know, you never see, for example, you never see your dog leaning on the back of the couch, staring out the window with a bottle of Jack Daniels. You know, they're, they're just not wistfully staring outside. If you say, hey, buddy, do you want to go for a walk? They don't go, nah, don't feel like it. You go, take pictures. They, they really want to engage in life. The minute that you offer anything that's filled with joy and opportunity and energy, they claim it. They don't hesitate. They don't wonder if it's okay. They don't need somebody else's permission. They just go. They live in the moment. And, you know, there are a lot of us, I think, trying to live happier, more fulfilled lives. And yet there are these other individuals, situations, moments in our lives that take us away from our path. But we let that happen because we let our attention and our focus drift away into other things. And I've often thought that when I first started speaking, I would get these evaluation forms, you know, the dreaded evaluation form, how are you doing? And I would get, you know, let's say there's a hundred people in the room and 98 say, man, that was great. And two said, oh my God, I can't believe, where did they find this person? And for weeks, I would agonize about what I didn't do for those two people wow. that would have lifted them. And I thought, man, isn't that human behavior? That we're more likely to look at the negative and, and kind of put all our attention on it for way too long instead of being very grateful about the 98 that thought it was amazing. Hmm. And, you know, so, so what is it that, that we're wired about that makes us so sensitive to feedback and criticism? And instead of really evaluating on, on its face, and the same, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, over the holidays, everyone was having the same crisis with airlines, you know, airlines that just were missing, missing departure times, canceling flights. And there was this 
large sea of overwhelmed humans yelling at customer service. Well, you know, it's been my, been certainly my experience that, um, you know, the old adage, bees with honey, that, that we don't move faster when we're yelled at. We move slower. Mm. And yet, most of us will apply pressure by screaming, pushing, being really negative. And, and if what we want is to create opportunity, then we need to realize that, that often the two leading causes for conflict in our lives relate to a lack of belonging or a lack of significance. So that idea that we want belong to a group that's doing great stuff. And we also want to have some significance within that group. In other words, I want to be seen. I want to be appreciated. And a lot of us just don't feel seen. We don't feel acknowledged. We, you know, if you see conflict in a workplace, it's usually because they, they feel overlooked or invisible. So let's go back to Beyonce. She's made sure that she's not invisible anywhere. She claims yes. And at the microphone, she steps up. She elevates. She rocks the stage. She understands the privilege of that platform and so delivers on the responsibility of being prepared, of doing the work, of showing up and bringing new content, new songs, new opportunities. And she makes that happen. She influences that. If we think about influence, influence just comes down to three things. Hmm. There are three A's and they happen in order. And we often don't remember that. But no matter what you want to influence in your life, three things. The first is attention. Where is it? What's got my focus? The next is affiliation. How am I connecting to it? And the third is approach. What am I going to do about it? And if, uh, if we just paid attention to those three moves, the same is true in communication. So does the person I'm communicating with have my attention? Do I have theirs? So if we don't have it, don't move. There's no point in continuing. And yet people will apply a pressure to individuals who are overwhelmed and are feeling frustrated and alone and disconnected. And we start to apply pressure, which just makes everyone move slower. Hmm. So how does one really get it right the way she's She's been able to get the three A's in place, and um, there are the results. You can see them. There's proof. There's evidence. I say to people, you want proof. You want evidence. You want results. You know, success is the best revenge, but where is it? Success must be seen, felt, and smelt, and um, tasted, if I can yeah. put it that way. Faith. And the big, the big one, really about success how many people are looking for success and yet doing nothing to make it happen mm. so we're waiting for the phone to ring we're waiting for the opportunity to present itself instead of claiming that moment making that moment happen because our full attention is on it yes and i remember bringing you the good news all day long you, you, you were tuned in to the hottest station on the planet. On the planet. Keep it locked. This was on it. I was going to work one full-time job, even a part-time if I had to. I was working with childcare and rent costs and car payments. Yes. And I, I gave myself 18 months. I said in 18 months, I'm going to bust my butt for 18 months. And if I don't have any money put away, and that means making sacrifices. 
right? If I don't have enough money put away to do my, to make my first, um, to buy my first house, that down payment, then I'll have to really revisit the goal. And in 18 months, I had, I had that money, I had the down payment. And people asked me how I did it. I said, I never lost focus on the fact that so much money every month had to go into that savings, regardless of the fact that sometimes on Friday night, we were a little short before the paycheck went in. And the kids and I would climb into one bed and we'd watch a video and we would literally, we had one video. We didn't waste money on cable. We watched Lady and the Tramp together in the bed, sometimes eating popcorn, sometimes eating cereal, but it was all part of the greater objective or goal that I'd set for myself. And I, I still remember thinking, I'm kind of ripping off the kids, you know, that old mother's guilt. And yet yes. now when I have adult children and grandkids, those same memories, they have a very different recollection. Their recollection is Friday nights were so amazing because they had me all to themselves. <laughs> yes. And we got to eat popcorn in bed. Now, what makes us so sensitive to feedback and criticism? Because we need the feedback and and there's a kind of criticism that is constructive and okay but why is it that we we really focus on the negative so much and forget about all the positive that is there why is uh, why are so many humans wired that way you know it's so interesting and the first question i would say is or the first thing i would say is we need to stop asking why makes us defensive? And mm. just the word why makes us defend the position we're in. But I'll go back to those two things that I said, belonging and significance. So for us, we want to belong to a group. And so when we get negative criticism or feedback, it feels like we're outsized or we're ostracized from the group when our craving is part of the group. And then the significance piece kicks in, which is not getting credit where credit is due. And so you might do all this work. So I'll go back to mine about the speaking. I'll, I'll do all this prep, hundreds of hours of preparation, trying to make sure people weren't bored, that the content would make a difference in their lives, would make their lives easier in some way. And so the minute that I got up there, I would get this group that said, yeah, you did exactly that. But the, the ones that were critical, they were sharp and pointed. And they hit that little vulnerability button Hmm. that we all have, which says, am I not good enough? Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not meant to have this. And maybe maybe I'm not ready. And that whole part of our internal dialogue starts to come into question. By whose standards? I, you know, I once heard... <laughs> <laughs> yes. But... Um, I remember hearing a speaker once have somebody walk up to him after he'd been on stage. And he said, uh, the, the gentleman that was in the audience said, do you mind if I give you some feedback? And that speaker said, are you qualified to give? Ooh. <laughs> okay. Ah, well, never expected that one, I must say. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's quite yes. an interesting perspective. 
because sometimes we're taking advice from people who have never done what we're doing. Exactly. And so how is that moving you forward? Like I want, I want feedback from people who've been before me. I want people who are doing it with me. And that brings me to remembering when I, I put my kids in bicycle motocross, DMX racing. Mm. I remember sitting in the audience in the bleachers and saying, come on, pedal harder, pedal harder. When you get into the corner, you got to push through. And the kids saying, mom, you don't get to give us that feedback unless you try. And I thought they're right. So I signed up, bought bikes. My husband and I bought bikes and we started racing alongside the kids. And then we could give feedback because we were qualified. Hmm. You see, you can get away with explaining how strawberries taste like, but if you've never tasted strawberries, you've never tried them, you have no experience. How do you know? What so qualification? To, yes. You know, you go back to those two that wrote the critical, um, the critical comments on the review. Was that about the the content, or was it about the space they were in and not wanting to be in? Hmm. Wrong place. Attack people because we feel so attacked, or we're feeling like we're not where we want to be, and we look around for someone to blame. And so transferring that, that negativity to somebody else seems to be a, you know, a calling for some people. And yet for others, we want to lift. We want to lift while we climb. You know, we want to support one another. And I've seen so many women who attack another woman instead of and say things like, wonder if she slept with in order to get that promotion. Mm. Instead of saying, wow, she earned it. You know, I, I've seen her here working late. She's been studying. She's got kids at home and she's working late into the night studying and furthering herself and trying to get to a place where she can really look after people. Instead, we go, well, why her and not me? And and I think that that energy is very, very damaging. And you have some people who say then the enemy of a woman is another woman. Could they be correct? Why will, why why should I sleep with somebody to get anywhere really? Why is the mind of this kind of a human just wired in that way? What makes people think that we can't get things legitly without cutting the corners? Where is the normality in all of this? When did this become an okay position? Yes. And it's so interesting because I think this is where our amygdala gets involved. And the amygdala in the brain is the awfulizing center of the brain. If we're feeling stressed, we're in fight or flight, um, we're we're feeding our brains too much cortisol steroids. So maybe you're in a narcissistic relationship or you just are, are feeling a huge amount of pressure and stress that when people make comments, you're more likely to take the negative, you'll you'll see it in a negative light because you're already in negative energy. And this is, you know, the idea of mirror neurons, the way that we put uh, energy out into the world is exactly what we get back. And so the quality of our relationships is about the quality of us. You know, how are we showing up in the relationship? And if we're showing up transparent, authentic, full of joy and gratitude and positivity, then we feed that whole 
space around us and the quality of our relationships are stronger. But if we're angry, bitter, disillusioned, uh, disappointed, full on fear, we're letting fear drive the car of our lives, then obviously we're gonna be faced with a lot more fear-based relationships. So we, we end up amping that negative energy around us. And so I've, I'm often just really amazed by the quality of relationships a person can have. I, I was born a twin, so I, I kind of believe that, that teams is a big part of how we get through our lives mm. in really productive, fabulous ways. And, you know, never to feel alone. But I also remember it's about... But you had a partner in the womb, so you were never alone <laughs> all your life. Yes. That had its own consequences because when, you know, when I first left home and my sister went one way and I went another, it was the first time in my life I'd actually truly been alone. And that can wow. be very scary in the world. And so that need to always be surrounded by really high quality uh, relationships has really driven my work in conflict resolution and human behavior. Hmm. And you say, why? Why, why makes us defensive? And I don't want to ask why you say that. <laughs> yeah. Think about you know, Faith. Or why did you, why, you know, why would you think that was okay? It automatically makes the brain go to defend the position of thought. If I ask a how or a what question, it goes into problems. So how do I make this? How do, I, how do I make today better? What do I need to do right now before I do anything? Mm. You know, what matters right now? And the brain will go into problem-solving mode. But if I say, why does it matter? My brain goes, eh. And then I sit still and I don't do anything. I wait for things to happen. There are those who say um, people go through a lot, like a phase, struggle and deal with a lot of hardships and deal with lots of heartache and all kinds of things. They tend to respond um, to challenges better than those who are used to them. I don't know if there's anything called soft life, but for lack of a better word, they say there are those who've been saying, or oh, there's a school of thoughts that says people who faces, who go through challenges, who've been through a lot, that has really trained them and made them to be resilient, also tend to live longer. How true can that be? If it is true, what attributes can be attributed to such? Is, is, is hard time good? Is conflict good? Is our challenge is good for us, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, stress. If you, if you think about stress and pressure, that makes steel stronger. Hmm. You know, yes. when we put pressure on something, if we've broken a bone and it reveals, it's stronger. And I think what happens for people who've been through struggles is that, that they've learned they will survive, they won't die. And I, you know, I, I so remember being that single mom laying on the floor. We had no furniture. I didn't expect to own any. It wasn't a high priority item. We could sit on pillows. Hmm. I remember laying on the floor. And you were, quite, you were okay with it. I, well, I don't know if I was okay with it. I remember just, you know, <laughs> yes. I was on the floor and I could hear my mother's. 
And my mother used to say this phrase, the good Lord never gives you more than you can handle. And I, I thought to myself in that moment, he's overestimated my ability. Hmm. And, you know, I, I think that we all have moments where we're tired. So when I was, when I was single parenting, I just remember telling myself, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself tonight. It really is. I can lay here on the floor and feel bad for the decisions that I've made and the choices that have led to where I'm at, but that's okay. Tonight, I can do that. Tomorrow, we start again. And it really led to the mantra of next, you know, what's next? And those moments, whenever I feel really tired, or I feel really overwhelmed, or I feel really frustrated or disappointed, I'm able to go back and, and yes. look at those moments. And remember, I didn't die. Hmm. And I think that's what really helps people that have struggled, is that they, they, get, they have so much in their hippocampus. Our hippocampus is all about context and remembering. And in the hippocampus, they have all these memories to draw from that are saying, listen, you've been here before and it was way worse then. Yes. Nothing. Yes, absolutely. And I'm thinking you said you've had quite a couple of, well, a number of relationships that never really worked. You have some people who go through the same thing and feel like, I don't want to hear anything about relationships again, ever. And you are here. How do you respond to relationships today? Are you even married? Have you tried to engage or be in a relationship with someone recently? Oh, and um, what has that taught you? What did you learn about human behaviors in relationships? That's just one of those best places to also learn about human behavior, especially when you have heard different kinds of people to be with, I see one of your dogs, they're lovely. <laughs> yes. No, we love seeing them. I think when it comes to relationships, I think it's easy to, you know, it's easy to give up. It's easy to give up on the idea of love. But I'll go back to being a twin. I recognize that we're tribal by nature. We need to be surrounded by people who care for us. We're happier. We live longer lives when we're not lonely. When we feel isolated, I, I think COVID and the response to COVID certainly taught the world how important it is to be connected. And so to have those really positive connections, and that means a, a positive connection that has nothing to do with narcissism, predator behavior, hostile territory. Yes. But, but we also learn how to communicate. And, and communicate these things like and don't always behave like us, but have the best interest at heart. You know, on, on my worst days, my husband is my biggest cheerleader. Mm. And I wouldn't want to live a single day without that sense of joy. Look at that. Yes. And what are we spending our time looking at? Are we looking at all our hurts? Are we looking at the opportunities? Because we're all going to be hurt. There's going to be things that are just not going to go well. And that's okay. Right, that that's just part of our growth. It's as much about, and I think love is as much about knowing what you know, falling in love and that attraction is part of it. But it's also knowing what you don't want. And I think those individuals who are living in in narcissistic relationships, they're being robbed 
you know, that, that memory, their, their short-term memory is actually being demolished and demoralized because every single day it's their fault the relationship isn't working. Wow. So when they finally get out of it, people know how to be in a healthy relationship. They've gotten a, addicted to the highs and the lows that come in really toxic relationships. And so suddenly when they're in this very flatline relationship, a really normal, calm relationship, they think it's too boring. Hmm. And so, you know, it's about kind of recognizing what's really, what's really important to me. And what kind of, what quality of relationship do I want to be a part of? What am I willing to contribute in order to have it? And that's such a selfless piece. I think, you know, the world right now is talking a lot about civility and the way we interact with each other. And we've gotten very righteous, right, from politics all the way down, telling people, and I, I think COVID certainly exacerbated it, but mm. telling people what to think, how to think, what they yes. believe in, what their belief, how their beliefs are wrong. Yes. Uh, this huge sensitivity, we need to erase history. Well, how will we prevent history from repeating itself if we don't talk about it? And so there's just this, this real desire to be right all the time. And I think empathy has taken a backseat. And empathy is such an important part of being part of a relationship. And we're in this new world where it's okay to say whatever you're thinking, no matter who it hurts. You know, what happened to diplomacy? What happened to civility? What happened to those moments when we start to realize the damage that incivility is causing? Mm. And some of the new research that's coming out is saying the spectators, let's not even talk about the people involved in a conflict, yes. but the spectators of a conflict will reduce their cognitive ability by 30% for up to eight to 10 hours. So now what kind of work are you doing? You walk in, you've seen this, this real rude kind of obnoxious high conflict um, scenario or situation take place and you are personally impacted even though you weren't involved in it and the reality is we don't go back and deal with spectators sometimes we'll fix the conflict that happened between two people but we very rarely go back and figure out who watched it unfold who watched it occur and so if you start thinking about in a workplace how much of in civil relationships are impacting our ability to be in strong, powerful, loving, positive, productive relationships. Mm. And uh, it really makes you pause when you think about the damage that is being, that is occurring when we're not really stepping up and making sure that our, our first point of contact is one of curiosity and not one of attacks them for how they perceive what their intention was yes you know, in, in all conflicts we should start with assuming good intent and if we assumed good intent we'd be more curious about what you meant by that instead of assuming that that was an attack and and launching onto the attack hmm. i want to go back to this one on giving up what makes it so easy for people to want to give up Bishop T.D. Jake said, 
is an edge that comes to every champion or every victorious person has to go through it. They'll feel the urge to give it to give up. Why is it so? And why is it that other people are able to shift gears so quickly and come out of that, you know, get back into shape again, into running again if they were running and focus on whatever they were doing, regardless of what just transpired. But someone can be there and beating themselves up, beating themselves up, beating themselves up without anyone assisting them. Oh yeah, we're harder on ourselves than we are than we are on other people, quite frankly. And but again, it goes back to having those positive, dynamic relationships around you. I think it's really easy to give up when the people in your corner are also pessimistic and cynical. Mm. But if you're you really only need, you know, they they. I read a recent paper, a white paper, that was saying you only need one invested adult for childhood trauma to take a back seat. So to be able to overcome it. And I think the same is true in our own lives, that do you have a cheerleader? Do you have somebody in your life that believes in you? You know, so that when you're tired and when you are overwhelmed and when it feels like the progress you're making is low and not getting us where we need to be do you have somebody that reminds you that things don't happen like they do on tv you know you can watch these uh, home and garden shows and they can they can renovate an entire house in 30 minutes yeah that's not real editing and so how much of your life are you <laughs> editing you know and how much of your effort yes because sometimes our biggest challenge is we don't stop long enough to look around and realize how far we've come. And the other thing that I think we we struggle with is we pick a goal and we make it way too big. And we don't do the little things that take us in that direction, the rituals that are needed in order for us to see some significant movement. And I, I equate that often to a bonfire. You know, we don't we don't build a bonfire by throwing all the big logs on first. We put kindling on. We fan the flame, we get it warm and roaring, then we add the big blocks. But often somebody will say, I want to get in shape, so I'm going to run a marathon. Okay. So yeah. I go out and I work out two hours at the gym or I go for like a, a 10K run and I haven't put on running shoes in five years. So the second day. <laughs> Yes. Get out of and everyone, everyone has unsettled affairs. Every human being on the planet has something going on in their life, hasn't been settled. And they're carrying it around like luggage. And it occupies a lot of their thoughts and their worries and their concerns and their fears for the future. And if they get those uh, around other people who share them, those fears become bigger. And fears are just future events appearing real. 
They don't have to be. Hmm. That's how we hmm. suddenly we quit because our fear of not being good enough, our fear of not having the right connection, our fear of not being not having the capacity. Yes. Or not being confident enough. And I often say that confidence is more about competency than than you know, it's just a feeling. But the more competent we are, the more confident we are. And so making that list of the things that we're truly competent in, the inarguable truths, you know, what is it that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, comfort. And for some of us, we have to go back to learning to walk or learning to tie our shoes because we've lost such sight of what we can actually do. Some of us are great books, but we discount that because we think everyone is. Hmm. Um, I, I know as a single parent, I've probably a thousand single parents out there who can make an entire meal out of three items in the pantry. That is a skill. It's acquired, it's learned, and, and usually the meals are pretty darn delicious. And other people would go, you can't make a meal with three items. And a single parent knows how to do it because those three items are all that we have, you know, or they don't even have to be a single parent. They just have to be a low-income family. And, you know, those skills that you acquire as you start to become less low-income, as you start to move into middle-income, you forget you have that skill. You forget you learned it. That we often acquire things out of pressure. And those skills that we develop out of pressure or transferable skills to other things. But we're all waiting to be motivated. I've never met anyone motivated at the top of a mountain. It's the disciplined that stand at the top. (laughs) Yes. The shoe fails. They're the ones that make it. And, you know, the ones that quit early, they're waiting for it to be easier. And I think when you asked about the difference between those that those resilient souls that have been through pressure and hardship, I think it's that they quit waiting for it to be easy and just been anyway. Hmm. What makes it, um, you know, because we're talking about um, human behaviors, and here's one thing that has been really a mil- is a mil- this is a million dollar question that has been on my mind for some time. You have you have people who are more accepted outside their own countries, their own uh, uh, communities and localities. They are more accepted, you know, outside than at home. What makes it that way? And now, what should be the right response? Do you now inverse? in um, in those who are accepting you outside than those here at home. I'll tell you why I'm asking that because what happens in most of these cases, these this is a real, that's why I'm saying it's a million dollar question. Most of the times that after people have been accepted outside, they now start warming up to them at home, back at home. And especially when they return, either be with awards and things like that. By the way, uh, three guys here in South Africa just won a Grammy. Well, they just did very well in the Grammys. And uh, see the kind of respect they're getting outside. And um, at home, I won't say much about that and I won't comment about that. 
But what makes it that way? Well, the Bible says a prophet is not accepted in his own country, in his own hometown, but outside. You know, it's so, it's so funny. <laughs> that, third, that third party endorsement, right? When you're, yes. you're from hometown, you remember who you And you're, you know, so it's like <sighs> this idea of past and the present live together simultaneously. And when you go abroad, you go to another country, that does the past doesn't factor into the equation. The past yes. comes this other discussion, in fact. And so so as soon as another group, another country acknowledges the talent of hmm. someone else, everyone else goes, what did we mean? <sighs> wow. I've been here all along. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. I, I find that same thing in my work is I get hired. I get hired in other places. I get hired in the United States. I get hired in Europe. I get hired in other provinces. And it's so hard to break into your own space that I actually created a price called my sleep at home price. Sleep in my own bed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's an anomaly that, that lives everywhere. But I also think that we're somewhat responsible for that because we don't shout, uh, we don't blow our own horns close to home. It's almost like we have that humility or that humbleness. Of, mm -hmm. you know, these are all my friends and my coworkers saw me before I made it and so it's this piece of you know most of our our promotional materials goes out and it goes out to other places so is it a combination potentially of just where we're putting our attention and focus and so I think you know close to home everybody wants to bring in this really amazing talent but they don't think about all the amazing talent that lives five doors down yeah and how does one go about blowing their own horns close to home? How does that even look like? You know, it, for, for me, it's about that uh, giving <laughs> So I live in what's called the Okanagan. Yes. And um, you have so much talent, like literally so much musical talent, uh, comedic talent, uh, um, athletic talent, speaking talent that lives literally right here in this valley yes and they choose to live here because of its lifestyle it's a it's a bit you know it's close to the lakes it's close to the to trails you've got skiing not far from the door i mean you have all the seasons it's really just this gorgeous uh wine valley that we all live in yes and one of the things that i started to do to change that is Every time I'm doing an, a charity event, I'm participating in a charitable event. I look for the local talent and then ask them to give freely. So, yeah. which is it's wow. perspective. Nobody wants to do everything for free. Yes. I, I, I can't stand the sentence that says, you'll have great exposure. Well, I could die from exposure. We know that in Canada. <laughs> Yes. Where showcase, you know, where can you showcase your talent in a way that's meaningful and attached to something that's that's exoteric? It's outside of you. 
So it's back to that empathy. And so do you, you know, get involved in something that makes us feel good because we're helping the disadvantaged in some way? The second piece is to work with your talents and develop something where you get to showcase the talent for a fee. So you could put them in, in a space where people buy tickets and they get to exposed to the talent that actually lives here. Because I think sometimes they don't know. And get media spotlights and do things that help people know you are right here. You are yeah. Right here. And, you know, I know I, I belong to a Rotary International Club uh, locally. And I had to speak <laughs> just recently about, yes. about what I do. In my own Rotary Club, to say, "Hey, don't you write books?" And I'm like, "Yes, and I'm an author, <laughs> right?" And that authorship is the easy way to get involved with reading. Yes. So why one of my fiction get involved? I just don't even mention. And it's such a it's such a strange thing that we do when we're close to home. We want to be so humble about it because we're the person next door, and we want to be the good neighbor, and we want to be the person who's you know, bringing joy and and just that positivity, or maybe we just want to fly below the radar. You know, we don't want everyone to know we're right here. Over the years, you know, yes. Presley was getting lots of attention. I remember my aunt and uncle uh, had him at their hotel in Hawaii, and he was actually they he would have to go for a walk at three o'clock in the morning because otherwise people were tearing his skin from him, tearing his hair out of his head. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit of both. I think sometimes at home, we want to be at home. We want to be anonymous. And so it lends itself to not being a prophet in your own. Hmm. And uh, could this be one of those um, puzzles that Beyonce was able to crack? I'll tell you why I keep bringing her. She's a case study. <laughs> yes. did she get it right at home did she blow her own horn at home what are just some of those um things that you feel she did right because she's big everywhere home outside so that makes that um you know thought and uh idea of uh, a prophet not making it at home crumble a little bit because that those who just got it right or are getting it right at home and outside. Did she get that after she'd gotten all of her fame elsewhere? Right? Uh, so, so it's a bit like the chicken and the egg. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> yes. I, I, knows what works and what works for one. I mean, certainly uh, when I did a fundraiser for my sister, um, I kept it very low. And, you know, that was back in 2007. And that got me on so, so many speaking stages because I was speaking altruistically. I was speaking to, ra to raise money for her for this fundraiser. And it was a really personal ask, but it got so much attention that I was on, I was on the news locally. I was you know, featured in newspaper articles. And then, the, and then because I'd done that, they started looking at the other things I did. And so I started to get this popularity that, that I hadn't had prior to. So this is why I often think, just remember to do things with great generosity 
of spirit, to, to really think in terms of attracting that level of, of generosity, of, of joy, of populating that positivity. And, you know, I, I will say that uh, I learned from the best. My grandmother it turned 101 in November. Mm. And I remember wow. with her when she was still in her 80s. And she said, I never want to be that old person no one wants to talk to. And so she yeah. said that because I have to be kind and kind and generous with my time. Wow. And, you know, I don't talk about my health and I don't complain. She said, older people always complain. And she said, nobody wants to be surrounded by complainers. And I thought, isn't that the truth? And it doesn't matter how old you are. Yes. But if you complain about everything, you have a very small audience. That deserves a bond of applause. I tell you, look, there's so much you have really shared today. Ladies and gentlemen, Faith Wood, she's faith. She's stable. She's trustworthy. She's consistent. She's attracted to conflict. Look, we have been talking behaviors, human behaviors. We've been going and digging in. This was a different kind of um, a conversation. I want to say thanks to Gazillion Times, to you, Faith, for your time, for sharing yourself with the world and your wisdom. You've filtered, you've tilted balls and all nuts of wisdom. Now, how can anyone really, yes, how can anyone really get... Um, hold of you and continue this conversation that comes the show comes to an end but not the conversation how can they find out more about you get a hold of you book you for events connect with you speak to you privately oh, i'd love that they can reach out through my website at www.imind.ca and if you're looking for books not ready to have the conversation yet you can hit <laughs> Yes, and if you're not ready for the conversation yet, why don't you just go to www.imind, right? That is the website, imind. Do you really mind? Well, it's imind.ca. We all need a cheerleader. How does one get one? How does one get one cheerleader? You said only one should be fine to set you on course. That's right. Nurture it or hire it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. Look, ladies and gentlemen, Faith Wood attracted to conflict. I love her. I love, love, love her. Look, this has been an incredible conversation and we want to let you go, but not without you saying your parting shots. What would be your last word? We didn't plan to have this conversation this way. We've heard it. I believe this is how it was supposed to happen. Faith? I think that if I could leave your listeners with one thought, everyone has their friend. Everyone's fighting about it. And I'm not better or worse than any others. There's always something to learn from someone, someone around us. Sometimes we're on the top. Sometimes we're at rock bottom. Sometimes we act smart. Sometimes we act 
like idiots. But that doesn't make us any less responsible for the choices that we make. And every choice we make takes us one step closer to who we truly were born to be. And I hope that you stay inspired and become champions for be living the life and feeding the lives of those around us who are choosing to be bigger, bolder, braver. I hope that inspires you. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, Faith Wood, check her out on imind.ca. She is brilliant. <laughs> MDN TV, the podcast. Be abreast now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non-secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcasts. The undeniable choice.